When I was a Zen monk, the Zen master I used to practice with uh, would felt like incessantly complain about how none of us understood what he was talking about. Um, it's probably true. <laughs> and, and he said, you know, he had to give his different reasons, but he said, one of, he said, one of the reasons why you don't understand is because you don't listen correctly. You need to listen with your belly button. <laughs> Which I thought was uh, interesting. I'm sure he's talking about the Dantian or, or Hara, but I thought there was something, um, I like the belly button better. <laughs> And I think he was onto something about this practice that we're doing here. About, I feel like what he was trying to convey with that statement of what is it like to listen differently, listen with our belly buttons, or to bring it into this context, to bring the body along tonight. The feeling of the breathing, the sense of the body Kind of how do the silences and sounds tonight resonate in the body? Just that. And it's not because there's going to be something particularly unique or special about what I'm going to be sharing tonight, but rather as the practice, the practice of embodiment, the practice of embodiment while listening. Because I think there's something so important about coming into our bodies for this path and this practice. Now, I remember the first retreat I did was such a shock to my system. And when I reflect back on why it was such a shock is, is I felt like I was in a time of my life that um, I was trying to navigate the world so much just through thinking. You know, I was trying to figure everything out through thinking. Studying a lot of philosophy, which, boy, there's going to be a lot of dukkha in that. <laughs> and, uh, boy, I'm thinking it would bring me some kind of peace. And, uh, and then this, uh, really, I think that was the intensity of that. It was really just a, a weekend retreat, and it was really tough. But I, I think what was so significant about it is I got, I, I, I finally started to get a taste of a, a, a actually a radically different way of being in the world of, of living, of coming into my senses, coming into the body. And it was quite interesting because when I reflect back, you know, if I were to share with you at that time of my life, I would have never described myself as someone who was disembodied. Like my sense was, is I felt like I kind of was living through my body in some way. I was physically active. A lot of the jobs that I had were so connected with the body. I was a janitor for a while, or working in a kitchen, or doing construction work. You know, using, utilizing the body. And yet, really wasn't embodied. And what I mean by that is there wasn't this awareness of the, uh, the body, the, the ability to allow awareness to fill, to infuse the body. And I feel that was one of the, the big gifts I've gotten from this path and this practice is, is coming into the body in some manner. And yes, it's still a process.
And tonight what I'd like to do is to share with you some reflections about embodiment, really using the frame of the mindfulness of the body to, to explore this. As I'm, I'm sure that most of you are well aware of that the mindfulness of the body is the, it's the first establishment of mindfulness. It's the first foundation of mindfulness. And the Buddha talks about it in high regard. For example, he says, practitioners, anyone who has developed and cultivated mindfulness of the body has included within themselves whatever wholesome states there are that partake of true knowledge. that somehow this cultivation of embodiment, of coming into the body, partakes of, of these wholesome qualities that lead the heart and mind towards awakening. And I, I feel that mindfulness of the body plays a particular place in our modern lives for most of us. Because what I notice is, at least for myself, and I'm sure you can, maybe many of you can relate to this, is that so much of kind of modern living, living gives me a, 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 a disembodiment with the technology and the speed. It feels like it pulls me out of the body. A big disconnection. And it's one of the things I struggle with or navigate in terms of just being in this world is how to counteract that in some manner. Because what comes with that is, is so much suffering. An example of this uh, comes from a short story <coughs> um, by James Joyce. He wrote it in 1914, but I think it's still applicable now. It a, it's from a collection of short stories called uh, Dubliners. And it was these, these stories of the lives of people really in the early 20th century living in and around uh, Dublin, Ireland. And there is one short story called A Painful Case in which the main character, Mr. Duffy, is a cashier at a bank. And what's so striking about his life is it's filled with so much loneliness and isolation that seems to come with this particular modern way of living that he's thrown into. And, and almost you can hear in the description of his life this, this desperate attempt to brace against this unpredictable world that we live in. It's such a controlled way of living. And in the, the story, you start to see him just begin to actually have a real connection with another person, with someone else. And you start to hear about how he begins to be moved by it in some way. Yet as they get closer and closer, he needs to turn away from the relationship. It's really too much for him. And of course, I think many of you know this quote, the, 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 the description that James Goyce gives about Mr. Duffy is that he lived a little distance from his body. He wasn't there, disconnected. When I'm not embodied, I'm not connected with myself, 
I don't have the ability to connect with others and I'm not connected with the world. So much suffering. Quite tragic. And, and I want to acknowledge, sometimes our, our systems, our, our phys- physiology gets set up in this way, you could say for good reason. Right? When, it, when we've had challenging experiences through the body, as a result, sometimes there can be a habit that gets set, set up that it's easier not to feel than to sense our lived lives through the body. It's much easier not to feel the body because it's so challenging because it can be, there are these associative links around these times of challenge or what the body has gone through. So it can be, uh, uh, at least the system feels like it's a, a useful way to kind of navigate this. Let's just don't feel it. The only problem is, as probably you noticed, it just doesn't last for very long the effectiveness of it. And I mention this because what I've noticed in my own journey is that it's, it's taken a special relationship to the body to allow for a deeper connection or a deeper quality of embodiment. It's like, it's like that relationship with a frightened animal. I don't know if you've ever gotten like a, a pet dog from the, uh, from the pound and it's just amazing to watch how um, an animal that's actually embodied, how they navigate their fear with a new situation. They'll, they'll start to inch up towards their new owner and then they'll run away and then they'll inch up some more. And over time, there's a sense of this relationship over a long time, this relationship of getting a sense that it's okay to be in relationship, that this is actually safe. And it's the same thing with coming into the bodies is, is allowing the sense of, oh, this is actually a safe vessel to, to reside in, to feel into. And it is, it's such a, a wondrous vessel to enter into. It, it, it's the vessel that allows allows us to really fully be here for the joys and sorrows of this human existence. Again, today, just this morning, I'm realizing I'm probably gonna refer to my walks up to here from Gaston Pond every, every talk, just because it's so wondrous. And today was such a beautiful day. And again, the realization of the body, the body was the vehicle, the vessel, that allowed for that experience, to, to, to experience the visual beauty, the sounds through the body, how it impacts it, how it resonates with that. This is my encouragement also during the talk, just to notice how things resonate, how the sounds and silences impact and move through. And not only for the joys, but it, it, it's, it can be such a, a wonderful vessel and support or as Ananda, the Buddha's attendant says, a, a best friend for troubled times. It's interesting, after 
the Buddha died, it was an incredibly difficult time for Ananda, especially if you, if you reflect on that. Here, Ananda was the Buddha's cousin, so they're connected by family. But not only that, Ananda spent so much of his time right next to the Buddha as his attendant. And then to lose his teacher was really quite devastating. And he describes this, he says, on the death of the Buddha, he says, all the directions are obscure. The teachings are not clear to me. With our benevolent friend gone, it seems if, if all is darkness. For one whose friend has passed away, one whose teacher has gone for good, there is no friend that can compare with mindfulness of the body. Ah, oh, this, this ally, this friend, in times of difficulty. And I'm sure many of you experience that, especially around loss, how loss feels like it pierces the body. It runs right through us. There's, you know, there's this beautiful poem by, or striking poem by W.S. Murren, just two lines entitled Absence. He says, your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. Your absence, your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. Loss can have that feeling. And having the body to, to sense through that, to be with such challenge in our lives. I also want to point out that this mindfulness of the body or embodiment is, is a gateway to wisdom and really can be seen as the foundation I'm grateful for uh, learning this from Gil Fransdell when he said that, that this term mindfulness, sati, could be just as easily as uh, translated as bodyfulness. Sometimes that makes more sense to me. Because I don't know if you've ever felt, it can be strange in our meditation. It can feel like that, and, and we can have this notion that the mind is somehow looking at the body or the mind is feeling the body which is really a bizarre sentence structure. Because the mind and the functioning of the mind is the body, that's part and parcel of the body. Maybe it's much better to say that the body is aware of the body or the body meditates upon the body. Maybe it's not so much bringing awareness to the body but what is it like to f allow the body to be filled with awareness? It's not like the awareness is in the head. 
to have a practice of filling rather than directing. And you might even have a sense of this right now as I speak, of allowing the body to be filled. And some of this, hopefully you're hearing, I'm, I'm beginning to play with how we define this word body. And it's tricky because it's used in different ways. And so I wanna just expand maybe what this word means or what it points to. Because we can often speak as the body as some kind of object, right? It's kind of skinny here, a little pudge there, some hair here, no hair there. There's bones and organs, heart and kidneys. But the interesting thing is, is the body is also, it is an organ itself within which we experience the world. It is the vehicle, it's a kind of vehicle for experiencing itself, which is a whole different sense. Then it's this alive organ that is sensing and interacting rather than a mere object. And it's that body, the alive body, that I think is really the real gateway. And this, this practice of allowing the body to be filled with awareness, have you noticed when it is filled with awareness, how, how presence is just right there, when you can bring the attention, when the attention is there, with the body, there's already a sense of presence. And it can be quite different around, for example, thoughts or emotions. It seems like with thoughts and emotions, there's, there's such a, uh, so easy to be lost in that. But once there's a coming into the body, it's like the lostness disappears. And the Buddha speaks to, I, I feel, this, uh, this encouragement for embodiment in the way I'm talking. And again, this is a quote from uh, the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Four Establishments of Mindfulness, and this first establishment. He encourages us, he says, again, practitioners, a practitioner is one who acts in full awareness, who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending their limbs, who acts in full awareness when wearing their robes and carrying their outer robe and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silence. In this way, a practitioner abides, contemplating the body in the body.
this art, this art of being in the body with full awareness. And to me, on long retreat, the place that I find so helpful to explore this is in the in-between times, in movements, in, the, in your yogi job, from going to the meditation hall to getting a cup of tea, the whole act of getting a cup of tea, taking a shower, going in and out of your room, washing pots and pans or chopping the veggies. What's it like to fully inhabit the body in those in-between times? And I find it important because what my mind so often does is those are like, even with my best of intentions, that's like my, my mind always thinks that the in-between times are um, break times. Like I remember I was on one retreat and it felt like every time I went into my room or took a shower, it was like my whole being would say, it's party time. <laughs> and so just like the thinking would just go wild. It's like, and it's because there wasn't this, this value of the in-between times. I, I, I really did have to work on it. And I, I do appreciate, again, uh, having that time uh, when I was practicing Zen as a, a Zen monk, because there was so much of an emphasis on fully inhabiting the body. And much of it is because a lot of the things we were doing were ritualized in terms of specific ways of moving the body and, uh, and carrying the body along and a big emphasis on work meditation as well. And actually when I was a monk, there was very, very little meditation instruction verbally given. It was, there was this big emphasis that uh, to learn how to meditate is something that you learn through the body, not from somebody telling you how to practice. Right? When I think back on it now, I don't know if I received more than maybe 15 minutes of sitting meditation instruction. It was more about the embodiment of it. It's maybe also why I'm practicing Vipassana now too. You know, <laughs> maybe that didn't work for me. But there was something about that emphasis that was so important. So I invite you to get this sense of, of uh, seeing what it's like to bring um, that sense of bodyfulness, of embodiment in these in-between times. I'd like to share with you a poem that I feel uh, describes this in, in some manner. It's a, a poem by Ted Kuzer. It's called A Rainy Morning. A young woman in a wheelchair wearing a black nylon poncho spattered with rain is pushing herself through the morning. You have seen how pianists sometimes bend forward to strike the keys, then lift their hands, draw back to rest, then lead again the strike just as the chord fades. Such is the way this woman strikes at the wheels, then lifts her long fingers, letting them float, then bends again to strike just as the chair slows 
as if into a silence. So expertly she plays the chords of this difficult music she has mastered. Her wet face, beautiful in its concentration, while the wind turns the pages of the rain. the art of movement, the art of moving the body. Or for the intents and purposes of our retreat, the art of filling movement with awareness. Allowing awareness to fill bodily experience in particular ways. And of course, I find so helpful in that movement. It's not like I have to veer off from the feeling of the body to check, for example, the attitude of the mind, if there's wanting or not wanting or checking out. It's right there in the body. It's no other place than the body. And I I find when we, we are engaged in this practice of allowing awareness to fill bodily experience, it's it gives rise to insight. Insight, this starting to see clearly impermanence and the unreliability of experience and that there's not this quality of not self. And so directly intertwined with this going beyond this concept of the body I just want to take some time again to ask this question, what is the body? Like if you, again, right now are sensing into the body, feeling the body sitting or feeling the activity of breathing right now. And sensing into that. Just to acknowledge that that body is more than I can intellectually or conceptually know. And yet there is a knowing of it right now. What you think the body is, is not the body. It's more direct, it's more intimate than that. And you might be touching that in some way. And when there's a feeling of that and noticing the flowing of that, the expanding, the contracting, the warmth, the coolness and how it changes, maybe even in this moment, of acknowledging the impossibility of finding a thing called a body It's just a flow of sensations. Of course, I can say the, this phrase to invite you to fill the body with awareness, but the direct experience of that is so different 
than that word body. I mean, how can you assume that you have or own a body when there's not a thing there in some way? So I think from this perspective, saying I have a body or even saying I don't have a body just doesn't fit. I think it gives new meaning to this, this quote from the Sutta Napata, when the Buddha says, the wise do not take anything in the world as belonging to them, nor do they take anything in the world as not belonging to them either. not to grasp onto anything, but not to reject anything as well. This is the gateway into going beyond this concept of body, getting a taste of the flowing nature of it, that it's unreliable, that it's not me. So how to engage in this more deeply, the sense of going beyond these fixed concepts because it's so important, I, I want to point out of the suffering that happens around conceptualizing the body. Body image. Have you seen what the mind does? It's habituated to see some bodies as better than other bodies. Thin bodies or young bodies. The judgments around the skin color of bodies or the ability of bodies or the health of bodies. And it's all conceptualized. And there's so often in the mind a better than and a less than and then suffering. And of course, not just individually, but collectively in terms of how our society works. So a little bit more about the how of this. So one of the Pali words for body is kaya. So for example, this mindfulness of the body is kaya nupasana. This Pali word is interesting though, because it's, it, it literally means a collection or a group. So for example, the, you've probably heard the word like the Pali nikayas, the Pali discourses. Nikaya, that, the word uh, um, uh, kaya in nikaya does mean collection or group. So it gives a different sense of this contemplating the body in the body, which is kaya, kaya nupasi, which can then be translated a little bit different, which is this contemplating the body really is just a collection of parts. Because once there can be an understanding that it's just a collection of parts, it can start to deconstruct some of these bigger concepts that we have that can lead to so much suffering. And the Buddha gives this, this teaching around the practice of the four elements. Again, from the four establishments of mindfulness. Again, practitioners, a practitioner reviews this same body, however it is placed, however it is disposed by way of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. Just as though a skilled butcher or his or their apprentice had killed a cow and was seated at the crossroads with it cut up into pieces, 
So too, a practitioner reviews the same body by way of elements thus. In this body, there are the earth element, the water element, the fire element, and the air element. In this way, they abide contemplating the body in the body. I know it can be kind of a, a gruesome analogy, analogy for on retreats. But it's this, this, this visual thing of seeing the different aspects of the body. That it's, it consists of these four different elements. And it is one way of practicing is beginning to sense into these four different elements within the body. And to bring it into modern terminology, it's just the one way I simplify it is just to see the elements as a, a, an easy gateway is just categories of sensations. You know, the earth element being the sensations around hardness and softness or roughness and smoothness or heaviness or lightness. The water element being this whole spectrum from dryness to moisture. The air element being experiences of movement. And the fire element being the range of hot and cold temperature. And I simplify it even further is just to have this attention on sensations and learning this language of the body in terms of sensations. Is a sensation and finding a label for it. Again, coming back to noting the importance of noting. It might be heavy or light, tingling, prickly, itchy. Taking some time to actually find a word or a label to, to contact the body in this way to have more of an intimacy of exactly how it feels. And I wanna say a little bit more of how this works. Why, why use labels around this, for example, in terms of the feeling of the body? And what comes to mind is, for example, have you ever had a meal and you, and you taste something in the meal, but you're not quite exactly sure what the spice is? And then maybe your friend who cooked you the meal shares with you, oh, I put a little bit of rosemary or thyme in there. And then there's that little bit of shift that happens in the experience. And it's like, oh yeah, that, oh, I can now taste it. I can now frame it in a way. And I have a, a deeper sense of that experience of that meal. It expands in some kind of manner. There's a clarity that comes and there's a, a closer connection with that experience of that meal. It can really... Yeah, deepen the experience. For example, when I first, before I came here, uh, our neighbors had uh, made some chocolate mousse that they gave my wife and I. And there was just this a little bit of, that was going to sound horrible, but a little bit of kick to it. There was just some kind of something in there. And our friends, she, she said, oh yeah, I put a little bit of cayenne in it. It was so good. It was so subtle. But having that word, allowed like this deeper relationship to it. To utilize labeling in that sense around, around the body can be so helpful. So it's this, this step of noting, labeling at times. Can it take it to a, a deeper level in that sense? And of course, if the elements work for you, I think they can be really wonderful.
of using that way of, oh, this is the earth element or the fire element. The reason I'm sometimes hesitant is because there can be so much figuring out around it. I do want to acknowledge, though, that this, this teaching on the elements points to another dynamic that I think is important to name in this modern world, a particular kind of modern suffering that's there. And that it's a, it's a reminder of where this body comes from. That the, the body is really just arising from this earth, this living earth. And so important to begin to reconnect in some kind of manner, such a disconnect, disconnection from this living earth. I remember an example of this. I was teaching at a retreat center called uh, Vallecitos Mountain Ranch, which is in northern New Mexico. It's, a, it's, a, it's an inholding, so it's surrounded by forests. So it's an incredibly beautiful place in the middle of the natural world. And I was leading a retreat there, and a, a, one of the, the participants had gone out for a hike. And on her hike, she came across a, uh, a black bear. And it was actually not a frightening experience for her. It was just a, an encounter and a safe distance and really deeply moving for her, very deeply moving. But I found it striking what she said about the experience when she came back and she was sharing with me, it with me. She said, you know, it was so moving. But what I realized is that that bear, that bear belonged here more than I did. And on the surface, I could relate to that. And on reflection, I heard the tragedy of that. That now, so much of human modern experience, not all of it by any means, is so much situated on the sense that we don't belong to this natural world. We know how to utilize it, but what is it to realize that we come from it, that we belong to it? It can be quite actually deep, this, this kind of disconnection. Robin Wall Kimmerer, who's a, uh, she's a professor of environmental and forest biology. She's also a member of the uh, Potawatomi Nation. She had given a, a survey to her students in her general ecology class. And there's quite a few students, about 200 students, and asked these two questions for, her, for uh, she had her students uh, write down their understanding of the negative interactions between human beings and the environment. And of course, all these students going into ecology could give so many different ways that we have never negative interactions with, with the natural world. But to also to write down the positive interactions that human beings have with the natural world. You know what the median answer was? None. There was no sense of reciprocity or connection, an understanding of, of the violence and harm that is there, but not understanding of the sense of belonging. And I feel that one small step to this 
is through the body. The body, as John O'Donohue says, our bodies know that they belong to Mother Earth. It is our minds that make our lives so homeless. What's it like to begin to feel that? To feel actually the elements as this connection that we have to the natural world. To begin to realize, right, the, the, the act of breathing. When I breathe, I'm breathing along with the trees and the plants. It's the only reason I can breathe every moment. I'm not talking poetically here. I'm talking literally. This is the bodily experience. The bodily is intimately connected with this living earth in this moment. To begin to mend this, connect, this disconnection that, that has uh, unfortunately been passed on to many of us. But back, back to sensing into the body, going beyond the concept of the body, labeling, noting sensation. And in addition to that, noticing what happens next to those sensations. It's this, this sensitivity of noticing how sensations arise and pass away. And what I do, it's like I'm holding not so much the question what happens next, but the feeling sense. Oh, here's an itch. Oh, okay, what happens next to it? Oh, it increases, it decreases. Oh, it expands, it dissipates, to track that in some kind of manner. So often what our minds do is, for example, we, maybe we see a bird in the sky and we say, oh, that's a crow. And then the mind, the attention gets pulled to something else, but we don't see how that bird flies through the sky and then leaves the field of vision. It could be the same thing with a sound, where there can be a naming, but not the what's happening next. The, the, the asking the question of what happens next allows impermanence to resonate into the bodily experience that allows this, really, this whole path to unfold. This is such a, a key piece to what we're doing here is to notice what's going on and to notice what happens next to it. And yeah, I'm, I'm given the, the simplified version, it's going to be messy. The mind is with sensations and then gets lost in thought, but there can be a sense of coming back and noticing what that sensation is like after a while, allowing it to be messy. It's the intention that, that, that matters. And then beginning to take in how the body sense is always interacting with other things, how it's dependently co-arising with experience. How our body sense influences how we see and interact with the world. I mean, it's interesting, just, if you, if, just to give a couple examples of this. If I'm hungry and I see a chocolate cake it looks so delicious. That's the experience of it. That's the bodily experience of that, that visual thing or the smell of it. 
I smell a chocolate cake and there's hunger in the body. There's that, that sense of, wow, this is so delicious. There's a feeling of the pull of it. Yet after I've eaten four pieces of chocolate cake, it doesn't look the same. It doesn't smell the same. There it is. There's a co-arising right there. Last time I was on a long retreat last year, I was on eight precepts. And at the beginning of the retreat, I could still feel my body getting used to not having uh, anything to eat after the new meal. And in the morning, I remember just early in the morning before breakfast, going into um, the dining hall and the body being so hungry. And it was all of a sudden, it would just felt like the world was, uh, that I was living in was just filled with irritating people. I couldn't believe it. It was like the whole world was just, was like, oh my God, all these people on retreat are so irritating. <laughs> I'd have breakfast, fill the, the, the tummy up, and then it was like, oh, all these lovely people. <laughs> so kind and compassionate. My heart was full. Oh, the, the dependent nature of experience through the body. It's amazing, isn't it? How the body influences other aspects of our experience or how ex- experience influences the body. And I'm sure you've been seeing this. When a thought arises, how does it feel in the body? And sometimes it feels like that. There's a th- stream of thoughts that come and it feels like it impacts the body. And other times it feels like, wow, the body's in this state and it feels like it's like churning out thoughts. Or the same thing with emotions. Sometimes it feels like the emotions are, are spurning on this body sense or vice versa, these interactions. And it's not so much that I need to figure out what comes first or second, but see the co-arising of this, the interdependent nature of the unfolding of experience through the body. And it's really this, this gateway and seeing the body in a different way, seeing that the body is not something, it's a relational field. It's a relational activity that's happening moment after moment in these small ways to these grand ways with the entire earth. What's it like to be sensitive to that, to take it in? Because what I'm proposing is that it's through that, that this is how insight really begins to arise in the, in the true flavor of insight. Because the reason I want to situate it so much in the body, the, the nature of insight, to, to point out that, at least for me, the arising of insight, the arising of the understanding of impermanence and unreliability and not-self is not some kind of intellectual understanding that arises. It's something that I get in my bones, in the body, that it's known through the body. I mean, if I could just intellectually get it, why come on retreat? I mean, who doesn't get impermanence? We all understand that idea. It's not like a difficult concept that we have to study. It's so simple. But it's like the body doesn't get it. And yet with the practice, something different can arise. 
a kind of bodily wisdom. Like the example I give is it's kind of like, like knowing how to ride a bike or knowing how to swim. Isn't it a trip that the body can know how to ride a bike? Like I know how to ride a bike, but if you were to ask me, hey, how do you stay on that thing? Can you explain that to me? There is no way I could explain that to you. I have no idea how the body does that. But it's amazing. Years can go by and I get on a, 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 on a bike and it knows it. It knows the feeling of that. Or swimming. I mean, I know there's people that can teach swimming. But I, I, don't, know, I don't know how my body stays afloat. It's amazing to me that I don't drown when I get thrown into a swimming pool. It knows it. It's not an intellectually, intellectual knowing. This, this to me is the, the feeling of, of insight. This deeper knowing that I don't even have to think about, but I have a feeling sense for. If I were to have to take a test on it, I would fail it. But if you throw me into the pool of impermanence and unreliability and not self, oh, then, then the body can learn how to swim in that. So may our our exploration of the mindfulness of mindfulness of the body of allowing the body to be filled with awareness lead to our own liberation and the liberation of all beings. Just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.